Feel free to pick up those conversations uh, after the service. Um, you're welcome to stick around and um, and keep chatting after the service. Uh, tell me who um, who you don't have to own, but if you don't mind everybody else knowing, uh, who who was up late last night watching the royal wedding? <laughs> uh, there's actually quite a few hands that went up. Um, I was struck by uh, I was struck by the church where they were getting married and this kind of the magnificence and the opulence of this huge church and all the, the stained glass windows and all the carving of the wood and everything. It's kind of if you just if that's your picture of Christianity, you might be tricked into thinking that it's that it's kind of like all grand and 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 um, magnificent and stately, but like for the most part, Christianity is a lot more earthy than that. Uh, our faith is, is a lot more down to earth and has nothing to do with buildings for the most part. Um, I want to tell you a story that is a lot more, I'll use the word again, earthy. Um, it's a story from 1960s uh, Soviet Russia. There was two teenage girls who belonged uh, to a to a communist boarding school, and one of the girls uh, was a was a Christian. They were eighteen years old, and um, there was there was Maria, and uh, I think it must be pronounced Varia or Varia. And they'd been schoolmates in the communist boarding school. Now, now Varia, who was a member of the communist youth organization, had constantly teased and tormented Maria because she was a Christian. And in response, Maria prayed for Varia with special concern. And one day Varia said, I cannot understand what being you are. Here there are so many who insult and hurt you, and yet you love everyone. Maria said, God has taught us to love everyone, not only friends, but also enemies. And Varia asked, can you love me too? And Maria hugged her and they both began to weep. And not long afterward, uh, Maria relates in a letter that Varia received Jesus Christ. And she started to witness openly to everyone about it. And Maria wrote in another letter, we, we went together to the assembly uh, this, the, the assembly of the communist youth organization. And I warned her to be reserved, but it was useless. I went with her to see what would happen. And after the communist hymn, Varia came forward before the whole assembly courageously and with much feeling. And she witnessed to those gathered about Jesus, her savior. And she implored all to give up the way of sin and come to Christ. And they all became silent and no one interrupted her. And when she finished speaking, she sang with a splendid voice that whole Christian hymn, I am not ashamed to proclaim the Christ who died to defend his commandments and the power of his cross. And you know what they did with Varia? They took her away. They put her in prison. Later, Maria visited her friend in prison. And Maria asked through the iron bars, Varia, don't you regret what you did? No, she answered. And if they would free me, I would do it again and tell them about the great love 
of Jesus. Don't think that I suffer. I am very glad that the Lord loves me so much and gives me the joy to endure for his name. And this was the first and last time Maria was able to visit Varia in prison. Her friend was thin, pale, beaten, but her eyes shone with the peace of God and unearthly joy. Now, a few months after the visit in prison, Maria received a letter from Varia. Her friend was now in a Siberian labor camp, and Varia wrote to her these words. My heart praises and thanks God that through you, he showed me the way to salvation. Now being on this way, my life has a purpose and I know where to go and for whom I suffer. I feel the desire to tell and to witness to everybody about the great joy of salvation I have in my heart. Who can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nobody and nothing. Neither prison nor suffering. The sufferings that God sends us only strengthens us more and more in the faith in him. My heart is so full of grace of God that it overflows. At work, they curse me and they punish me, giving me extra work because I cannot be silent. I must tell everyone what the Lord has done for me. He has made me a new being, a new creation of, of me who is on the way to hell. Can I be silent after this? No, never. As long as my lips speak, I will witness to everyone about his great love. Here there are many who believe in Christ as their personal saviour. More than half of the prisoners are believers. We have among us great singers and good preachers of the gospel. In the evening, when we all gather after heavy work, how wonderful it is to pass at least some time together in prayer at the feet of our saviour. With Christ... There is freedom everywhere. I have learned here many beautiful hymns and every day God gives me more and more of his word. All our brethren greet you and are glad that your faith in God is so powerful that you praise him in your sufferings unceasingly. Yours, Berea. What a, what a beautiful and powerful story that, that the tormentor of Christians becomes a Christian, and even suffers greater torment herself in Jesus' name. What is it that makes someone go against the grain of their society, to go against the grain with their friends and their family and colleagues? What makes somebody turn their back on the hierarchy to risk everything to proclaim Jesus? What is it that changes the attackers of religion into defenders of the faith. And, and this girl was so radically changed. I can't believe, she says, you know, I, they give me extra work because I cannot be silent. I must tell everyone what the Lord has done. But, you know, this story isn't that um, extra, extraordinary. In fact, stories like this from the past couple thousand years are quite regular. Stories like this of what happens when people encounter Christ. They have to proclaim his name. They have to. It's a familiar and repetitive pattern from the time of the apostles even to now. That when you receive Christ, you're compelled to speak in his name, come what may. Jesus makes Roman soldiers stand up to the emperor. (laughs) He makes Bible smugglers out of simple Chinese farmers. 
He, he makes secret missionaries out of Filipino maids. Jesus makes martyrs out of princes and paupers alike. Jesus turns the ordinary upside down, transforming all kinds of people into announcers of good news and bringers of God's grace. In the case of our passage in Acts today, he causes low-class fishermen to stand up to the political and religious elite, not in the arrogant and revolutionary way that you see on the news with protests and riots, but with the calm boldness of Holy Spirit-powered gospel preaching. They're not there to make a political statement in front of the council, nor to undermine the establishment. They're there to proclaim the good news about Jesus and his resurrection. They could not help but share all about it to whoever would listen. Now, this is the second part in the story that we started last week. Uh, You might remember that Peter and John had gone up to the temple at about three o'clock in the afternoon to pray, and they ran across this this, uh, beggar who'd been disabled since birth. He couldn't walk. And in the name of Jesus, they healed the beggar. And they went into the temple and everybody saw this bloke that they knew to be lame, who'd been, who'd been lame since birth, who used to sit at the temple gate. They now saw him walking around and people were amazed and they came over to see what had happened. And Peter and John began to explain how this man had been healed in the name of Jesus. They began to explain who Jesus was, how he, how he had died and he had been resurrected, how he was their Messiah. And that's where we left it last week with Peter's preaching. And now we pick up the story in Acts 4 about what happened next when the authorities get involved. And and we're just going to look at the story in in, in four parts. We're just going to work our way through and let the story speak for itself, hopefully. Just going to see how they were arrested and then they were questioned and then the council deliberates for a while and then they get released. But all along we will see that the name of Jesus must be proclaimed. The name of Jesus must be be proclaimed. So while Peter and John were still preaching to the crowd that had gathered at the temple, some of the religious folks get a bit irritated. And and we saw that in verse 1 and 2. I'll just put it up there for you. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now I'm sure you can imagine a scene. There's a great big crowd of people in the temple, around a preacher in the temple courts, but it's not a pre—it's not a priest teaching. It's not kind of an authorized, regular preacher in the temple courts. It's some random dude who's talking about the heretic that was executed a few months ago, and they were saying that that guy who died was the promised Messiah. Now, I'm just guessing, but I'm sure, like. There's a bit of commotion. Somebody goes and talks to one of the priests and says, I'm not sure about this guy preaching over here. He's saying some, some strange stuff. And, and he goes and gets his boss and, and they go and they get the temple guard and, and, and then they, they all come together to put a stop to it. So soon enough, there's a bunch of temple staff and, and the security team, they're descending on uh, this unsanctioned preacher who's prattling about this dangerous doctrine. You see... By way of uh, information, fun facts, um, this, the Sadducees who are mentioned here are like a religious, a religio-political group. They're kind of in power. 
um, have a lot of, of sway over the people, even though the Romans are like occupying the land. The, they've still got their local leaders, and they're mostly made up of Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees are, like, as opposed to the Pharisees, who also get a bad rap in the Bible. And for the most part, sometimes you can't tell them apart. It's like liberal and labor. Sometimes they look all the same. But there's a few key areas where they're different. And for the sake of our story, the important key differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Sadducees aren't hanging out for the Messiah and the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. And what's Peter preaching about? A Messiah who was raised from the dead. So you can, imagine, you can understand why they're starting to get a bit riled up and greatly annoyed because of what this guy's preaching. So they chuck him in the lockup overnight because it was getting a bit late. So they've obviously been there for several hours since three o'clock with the healing. Um, and they've been preaching and teaching for quite a while. So they throw them in the lockup because it's getting late. And there wasn't enough time to get the Jewish council together to sort it out. But it was too late because the damage had been done. Uh, if you look at verse 3 and 4, they arrested them, they put them in custody until the next day, for it is already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So what's happened? The gospel has gone out, and people believed. The name of Jesus must be proclaimed. And when it is proclaimed, people's lives are changed. Now, we're not quite clear about who the 5,000 are, whether or not that 5,000 is like a running total based on you know, they, the, the thousands that had believed previously. It's now up to 5,000, or whether this is 5,000 new people. And it's also not quite sure if it's just men or if it's men as in mankind, people. But the point is this. When it gives you this number, 5,000 the number of men came to about 5,000. The point is that the number is growing. There is more and more people who are coming to faith as the gospel is proclaimed. Through the whole work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus' work continues. There is power in Jesus' name. And the power in Jesus' name, as, as Steve has said, it's not some kind of mystical incantation, incantation but The power is because of who the name belongs to. The power is because of the authority of the person whose name it is. And the thing is that Jesus has that authority today. And it it means that we expect the same thing to happen when we proclaim Jesus today. People will come to faith. People will turn around. People's lives will be changed. And sure, we might not see a thousand people come to faith today, but We do expect some people to come to faith as we continue to proclaim the gospel. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And Jesus uses his gospel for the furthering of his kingdom. Now, some people come to faith by reading the scriptures. Some people come to faith by um, reading tracts or um, or because of a, a vision they had. But far and away, the most, the most common way for somebody to become a Christian is because the gospel is spoken to them, because they have a friend who shares it with them, or they hear it over the radio, or they, they hear a preacher speaking about the gospel. And, and Paul mentions this 
in Romans about the need for people to share the gospel. Because who, who can hear unless somebody tells it? How, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? You see, Jesus' name must be proclaimed so that light and salvation can continue to spread to all. But getting back to our story, the next day the Jewish council gets together, they call it the Sanhedrin, and everybody who's important in Jewish society is there. You've got the high priests and their family, um, the, the guys who actually presided over Jesus' trial. And they interrogate them about their authority to preach and teach. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander. Don't know who John and Alexander are. Um, And all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Now, Jesus had warned his disciples that this was going to happen. That they would be put in front of councils like this. Because standing with Jesus means standing against the world. Jesus said, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts, and you'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. And when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. And so a few weeks after Jesus has died, and and even less time since his ascension, these predictions of Jesus are coming true. They are being dragged before the courts. And his prophecy about being filled with the Holy Spirit also is coming true. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So so Peter, in front of the respected heads of society, the religious elites, the academics, just generally the most important people in the country, he has the gall to tell them that the bloke you crucified the other month is not only alive, but this disabled guy beside us is healed by his authority. And Jesus is the only one who can save you because he is the messenger of God. The guy that you thought was a heretic and was rotten and bad for society and causing trouble, he's actually the solid foundation of God's people. He was the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. The prophecy about the stone that was rejected that became the cornerstone. He's saying... The people who thought they should know best about how to build a building have rejected the foundation stone. And you are those guys. I'm sure you could have hit a pin drop after he was finished. 
either that or the, or the, or the council was in an uproar already. And this is from the same guy who was even afraid to associate with Jesus a few weeks ago. He was afraid to even mention Jesus' name. And now he's standing before the same people who killed Jesus to tell them not only that they messed up big time, but that there is forgiveness on offer for them. There is salvation. Jesus can still save those people who sent him to the grave. Can you imagine that? Peter's holding out hope of salvation to them. Holding out hope of salvation to the people who he's just accused of murdering God's son. Now, I reckon if anybody ought to be condemned outright for their crimes against God, it should be the people who put him on that cross. Yet, such is the grace of God that he hold such as the grace of God that even they can receive God's grace and mercy. Jesus can still save them. He will save the most outrageous of sinners. And that brings us comfort because that's you and me. We have sinned. I have sinned. I have lied and cheated and stolen. I have coveted and lusted and been unrighteously angry. I've done things that many of you would think that I'm not capable of doing. Yet none of it can separate me from the love of God. None of it can take away my salvation in Jesus Christ. His grace is greater than my sin. Varia, who we looked at earlier, was not separated from Christ by the torments that she gave to other Christians. Saul, who murdered Christians in the name of God, had not sinned so badly that God's grace could overcome, not overcome his sin. And the same goes for these religious rulers in this passage today, who murdered God's son. But that does not cut them off from the gracious offer that Peter sets before them of salvation in Christ. What about you? Is your sin worse than murdering the Son of God? If grace is available to those men, how much more can you be assured that your sin will not separate you from God if you call on the name of Jesus? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not one big sin, not a lifetime of little sins, not a thousand generations of sinful mankind. If God's salvation is open to those wicked men, you can rest assured that God's salvation is offered even to you. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, it's not clear whether or not the magnitude of this message was sinking in to the Jewish council. Did they understand what they had done and what was on offer to them? Let's move to the next section to see how they react to Peter's bombshell. And the first thing that they notice, that they, that they note, is that Peter and John, while being out of their depth, uneducated, common men, 
Yet they're so bold that it was clear that Jesus had rubbed off on them. And the evidence of the healed man was right there in front of their eyes. They couldn't reject their claims because this man that everybody knew as a lame beggar was now walking. And, and they also couldn't produce a body to prove that Jesus was still dead. They're stuck. So they pop Peter and James, uh, sorry, Peter and John outside the council and they have a chat. They deliberate over what to do next. Let's have a read the account of what they said. When they'd commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been formed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone at this time. Sorry, uh, in his name, in this name. So the Jewish council admits to themselves that these guys have proof for their claims, standing right there with them. But they still don't want this kind of teaching getting around from Peter and John. So on the one hand, the evidence is right in front of them. And on the other, they won't accept it. It, it's, it's, It's obvious to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, they said. The fact that the the authority of Jesus can heal people physically is plain for them all to see, yet they they reject the truth that the miracle points to. The miracle is a big flashing sign saying, Jesus is who he said he was, but they reject it. Jesus' claims were legit. He was not some second-rate preacher stirring up political and religious trouble. He was the real deal. And even now, in his physical absence, his message and mission is going forth by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is driving these two blokes, these two ordinary blokes, Peter and John, who are now caught up in a cosmic, earth-changing mission. Yet at this point in the story, they're standing outside a council at the mercy of the council. And I bet they were preparing themselves to receive the same thing that Jesus received a few weeks earlier. They were probably ready to hear the verdict that they had to die. But despite what got Jesus killed, they cannot help but proclaim the name of Jesus. So they're called back inside again and they're given a warning, but their spirit-powered boldness continues and they respectfully tell the council to get lost. Uh, so they, they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Imagine that. With the lame beggar healed in the name of Jesus standing right in front of them, the council wants to put a stop to this. 
They essentially say, despite the fact that the authority of Jesus is healing people, we don't want it to go on. You can't do this kind of stuff. But the council have their hands tied. Despite the fact that they want to stop Peter and John, they can see the popular reception that this has happened. This has had. The evidence is there. And so on this occasion, all the council can do is threaten them. No beatings or deaths on this occasion. And Peter and John didn't hide their intentions. They came right out and, and they owned up to the fact that what the, what the council is asking is just too much. We can't, we can't do it. They're respectful. They're not being aggressive or arrogant. They simply say in a roundabout way that they are on a mission from God. Their mission trumps the council's authority because there is nothing inherently... <clears throat> sorry. Their mission trumps the council's authority. And it's not because there is anything inherently wrong with authority, with religious or political authority, but what they are doing trumps what the council says because God trumps them. They are Christ's witnesses and they must go proclaiming the name of Jesus, come what may. God teaches us to respect our elders and and to respect authority it's a good thing to obey and to honour those in authority over us. But when what they desire contradicts what God wants, we appeal to the higher authority. And I'm sure you've had experiences, maybe at work, you've had a supervisor ask for one thing and then the, the manager above them asks for something different. And you've got to say, sorry, I've got to go with, um, got to go with the manager. You have to respectfully decline and say, I can't do that because somebody higher up the chain wants it done differently. You may have had friends and family ask you to do things where you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't do this because I have to appeal to higher authority. And that's what Peter and John do here. They they ask rhetorically, should we do what you say or should we do what God says? The answer is quite obvious. They should do what God says. We can't help but tell about what our eyes have seen and what our ears have heard. And these are the kind of witnesses that you want. They're the kind of witnesses that make courtrooms work properly, where there's a case before the court and then and you've got two people, two parties presenting different sides in a court case. You want a witness to come in and to say what they have seen and heard. They don't need to be experts about what the matter that's before the court. They don't need to understand the big picture. They just need to say, this is what I saw and this is what I heard. And here we have Peter and James, not trying to undermine the Jewish council, not claiming to be prophets or spiritual gurus, not trying to start a new religion. They're just trying to share about what they had seen and heard themselves in the life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah. They had seen the prophecies fulfilled that a Messiah would come to save them, who'd come to save them from their sin, who'd come to reconcile them back to God. They had seen the Old Testament being fulfilled before their very eyes. They had seen his teaching. They They had heard his teaching. They had seen the miracles that he performed. And they had seen him die on a cross. And not only that, they saw him alive three days later. 
They saw him walking and talking. And he taught them after he had died. And they saw him raised into heaven. And they also saw the Holy Spirit descending on them at Pentecost. They are witnesses to who Jesus was and what he has done. And they had to go out and proclaim his name. And we here today are spiritual inheritors of that responsibility. We are the continuing witnesses. You see, the apostles, powered by the Holy Spirit, proclaimed the name of Jesus, throwing wide the gospel gates of grace to the world. And they have passed on to us their eyewitness records and their teaching to us through the Holy Scriptures. And we continue to proclaim Christ generation after generation, year after year. We have the historical records. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the lineage of all those Christians who have gone before us who were not phased by political and religious power. What more do we need? Once we have received Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and we are transformed in such a way that we do crazy things like preaching the gospel to religious and political leaders. It makes us testify to our friends about the salvation that we have received. It makes us defend the faith even when the world makes out that it's dumb and foolish. It makes us walk around the streets with little cardboard tracts and hand them out to strangers in the hope that the gospel might make one more step forward. And we don't need to fear the days that will come when we are persecuted, when we suffer for Christ's sake, when we're hauled before the courts. Because when we give an account to the world for our faith, the Spirit will help us proclaim Jesus Christ. Whether it's before kings and governors, whether it's before discrimination tribunals, or whether you're face-to-face with a religious radical from a from a different part of the world. I know being a little bit... I know being a little bit over the top with this talk of becoming, coming before um, councils and suffering. I don't think so. It doesn't take much for the religious freedom that we have to proclaim Christ to be crushed. Jesus promised that this kind of stuff would happen and the life of ease for Christians is not the norm. Things might change in this country in years to come. I'm not trying to be a doomsday prophet, but I'm just saying we can't rely on the freedoms that we have now. Suffering will come as Jesus promised. Or you might end up in another country proclaiming the gospel, and you'll fall into suffering. The idea that you will be before a tribunal trying to defend your faith is not that far-fetched. But we have no fear. The name of Jesus must be proclaimed across the earth. Don't, Don't fear the stubborn, deceived individuals who oppose God's holy people. They don't realize it yet what they are doing. But God has us in his hand. He draws our souls up to his presence. He prepares a place for us to dwell in abundant peace and security. 
We look forward to the day that we'll be freed from the tyranny of sin and freed from the opposition of the world. But we're not there yet. We live in the here and the now, where the world opposes God and his people, who are the church. Jesus said these days would come. He promised the things that would happen in history and that we've seen happen in history. Jesus said, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will be will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Brothers and sisters, we are living in these days. Do not be led astray by the deceitfulness of the world, but prepare yourself to endure through the trials to come. Prepare to proclaim the name of Jesus throughout the whole world. Because at his name, every knee will bow. Are you, are you ready to follow Peter and John into that council chamber for the sake of Jesus' name? Are you ready to follow Varia into imprisonment and slave labor for the sake of Jesus' name? Are you ready to follow Jesus wherever he might lead you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ that comes to us, delivered to us through the testimony of the apostles, written down for us. We thank you, Lord, that we can receive the gospels, the, the, the writings that tell us about the life and the words of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit, you open up your word to us so that we can know you and we can understand you. And we thank you, Lord, for the continued um, spread of your gospel throughout the world. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us willing participants of that. We pray, Lord, that you would enliven us by your spirit to take your gospel out to the world. We pray, Lord, that we would be in a position where we cannot help but speak of Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, that we would not shy away, but that, but that we would be bold. We would have a calm boldness, knowing that we are secure with you. We don't need to fear what happens in this world. Lord, we thank you that our lives are hid with you. And despite what happens to us on this earth, nothing can separate us from your love. We thank you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.